Good afternoon, it's Dorothy Polarski welcoming you to Midday Moms. I'm really, really very, very happy to have you here. We have some two amazing guests. We have, um, I'd like to welcome not only those of you that are joining us, um, and as you're joining us, please in the chat box, uh, say hello, tell us where you're from. Um, because you know me, I like to know who you are. So, you know, please in the chat box say hello, this is Rema, this is Maria, this is Teresa. Uh, please say hello in the chat box. I wanted to uh, extend a very warm welcome um, to uh, Mary Wagner and her mom, um, Jane Wagner. And uh, for those of you that maybe um, don't know Mary, because uh, not everybody knows Mary. Um, Mary, can you tell us just uh, briefly a little bit about yourself? And I'll, you know, introduce you a little bit more formally later. But uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself, if you could. Hi, um, Mary. I'm Mary. I'm currently living in Victoria with um, my mom and dad and the four children who are um, there. We've been raising for the last number of years. And um, I'm Catholic. I'm one of 12 kids a third of, of 12 kids, including five adopted children. And um, for about close to 10 years, I was living in Ontario, where I um, I moved um, to join Linda Gibbons, who's been a, a very good friend for a number of years, who um, began going to reach out to moms at the abortion sites. And as a result of her commitment to them, when the bubble zone law came into effect, she started the, um, she was arrested for her, for her witness. And um, I received a similar calling to go to meet the moms at that place where they're abandoned and um, make a similar commitment to them. So um, oh. for about nine, 10 years, I, I was, um, I was uh, reaching out to the moms and then spent some time in custody quite a number of years over the la out of the last 10 years. Okay, so th thank you for that, and we'll we'll uh, I'll, I promise I'll definitely uh, we'll, you know we'll do a little bit of tag teaming. Uh, I wanted to say just hello to a few people that are joining us. Hello, I'm Evelyn from uh, Brampton from St. Jerome's. Hello, uh, hello, Evelyn. Um, Claude from St. David's. How are you, Lisa? from Oklahoma, Roland, Oklahoma. Welcome, Lisa. Great, I was gonna say great to see you, <laughs> great to see your name. Um, and uh, hello, Lucy from Mississauga. Hello, Maria Rodriguez. Uh, Karen Ferenholtz from Wellington, Florida. Whoa, I'm friend of Father Stephen Embarato. He is a huge fan of yours, of mine, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure of, I'm sure of Mary Wagner's. I've got a I got a tricky sense of uh, humor. Anyway, I also wanted to welcome uh, Jane Jane Wagner. Uh, Jane is uh, Mary's mom, and um, Jane, can you tell us a little bit about yourself just before we, you know, start formally into the session today? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um... I've been, I've got 12 kids, uh, nine of them, seven of them I gave birth to and five of them we adopted. I've been married for coming up to 52 years uh, to the same man. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> and, uh, I was very immature, but um, 
my sweetheart was going to Africa. And I thought, oh, that would be quite an adventure. So we got married and uh, it was an adventure, not in the best sense, but it was a learning and, um, and a beautiful experience spiritually for me. I was completely dependent on God to keep me sane. <laughs> so we came back and then, um, yeah, motherhood unfolded and I've never looked back. Oh, that's, uh, we're, we're very, very, very happy to have uh, the two of you here with us today. Um, I did, I know some of you have been, you know, joining us week in and week out. So some of us know, you know, some of you know what we're all about. Some of you, maybe this is your first time session with us. <clears throat> if it's your first time session, can you, you know, let us know it's the first time that you're here. But I would like to tell you a little bit about our ministry. So why are we here? Um, again, we work in partnership with the Archdiocese of Toronto, and um, we are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood, and we do that primarily by helping parishes start Catholic moms groups. Now, I'm going to just share a couple of slides with you, uh, because I would, once the session is over, I would like you to visit our website. I would like you to follow us on Instagram. And I would like um, you to consider becoming a mother's group leader. Okay, so I'm going to share just a couple of slides with you. Let me just do a share screen. Okay, so there we go. Um, so our ministry is catholicmomsgroup.com. And if you could visit our website, and if you could, uh, you know, um, follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, we also hold an annual conference called the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference. And it was actually at the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference, uh, not last year, but the year before, that I had the great privilege of meeting uh, Mary for the very first time. And um, we've sort of become, you know, like, I wouldn't say besties, but we've become friends since that time. And it's just been such a, uh, just such a delight and such a grace to meet her mom too. So uh, we have a ministry that starts, helps parishes start mother's groups. That ministry has an annual conference that conference is called Dynamic Women of Faith. So if you go on social media, please look for these two logos. Go to Instagram, follow us. Go to Facebook, follow us, okay? So we're on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood, and we do so primarily by helping parishes start moms groups. Um, there's our website address. And we have worked with over 45 parishes in helping them start moms groups. We have started moms and tots groups at, um, for example, Our Lady of Peace and at St. Peter and Paul. We also have started group mothers groups that are moms only. Um, and we also run a parish-based virtual mothers groups. So we can help you start um, mother and tots mothers group. We can help you start a just a mom's mothers group and we can help your parish start parish based um, virtual mothers groups during COVID. Uh, these virtual meetups started as a result of COVID. Okay. Um, we want to keep on reaching out to you and let moms know you're not alone. You're loved. We're here to help you. 
and uh, you know, God's grace can't be stopped anywhere. So uh, we're here. Uh, we have developed a variety of different tools. We have uh, a mother's group starter kit. We host an annual um, Catholic Mother's Summit, and we have for a number of years. And we have Maybe I'm repeating myself. Did I tell you that we have a mother's group starter kit? So we can ship a mother's group starter kit to you and it would allow you to launch a mother's group uh, ministry in your parish very quickly and efficiently. So enough about that, because I'm sure that's not why you're here. You're not here to find out about our ministry, but um, what I want to uh, share that with you. So a lot of people are writing a lot of different things in the chat box. And so I do want to, um, you know, welcome you. I do want to say hello. But at the same time, I also don't want to miss the opportunity to actually chat with Mary <laughs> and her mom. Uh, so I have a few questions. Um, so, oh, before I've got the questions, I do want to formally introduce, um, you know, Mary. So Mary graduated from English and Roman studies at the University of British Columbia. She came from a large Catholic or she comes from a large Catholic family. Mary's become an internationally renowned pro-life hero. She has approached women who have decided to have an abortion in private abortion clinics, praying and handing out um, white roses, giving them pamphlets about the value of human life. Um, and because she's violated um, Ontario's bubble zone and she's broken the law 14 to 18 and probably more times since the last time I spoke to her, but um, she spent total five years in prison, um, basically advocating for the unborn and because of these kind of broken laws. Now, Jane is, and please Mary and her mom will correct me because I need lots of correction. Um, but uh, Jane, as some of you heard, is uh, Mary's mom and uh, she's been married for 52 years. Um, she's had seven children and adopted five children, lived in Africa, was in a nursing program, and some of you might be wondering, well, how did it come to be? Well, how it came to be that we're here together is uh, I was driving around in the car with Mary and I hadn't met her mom and she couldn't stop talking about her mom and she couldn't stop talking about her sisters and brothers and dad. And I was like, Mary has come from this amazing, amazing, beautiful, beautiful family. And so I wanted to meet Mary's mother, and now you have the opportunity to meet her. Um, Jane, you know, our, our ministry is on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. What is the word vocation, you know, or what is that term, the vocation of motherhood? What does that mean to you? Well, I think it's a, a call to a selfless giving that's probably going to last your whole life. Um, it can be a bit scary, the idea, but once you've experienced it, or at least for myself, it was like marrying my desires to my yoke. Because from my earliest years, that's all I wanted to be was a mom. And not just to one or two kids, I wanted to have a whole throng. So, um, and, the, and, and so we di I did. And when I couldn't have any more of my own, it was just a natural thing to think, 
well, I, I know that God's still calling me to have more children, so here I am. And they came. So <laughs> to me, it's a life of service. There's no doubt about it. It's hard work and it's 24 seven, but it's, uh, it's the loveliest work you can do. And probably the most challenging. Now, Jane, uh, you mentioned in your, uh, in your bio, and it, it really touched me very, very profoundly about the encounter that you had with uh, a, a, a young soul, a young child in Africa. Can you tell us a little bit about that moment? Okay, well, we were, in, we were stationed in West Africa, and for Christmas we went to Lagos, which is the capital, um, because we had a, a break. My husband was teaching at the Polytechnic Institute, so we had a couple of weeks off. So we headed down to Lagos, and as I said, I was an immature, frivolous young girl, really, with a mature husband. And so I was excited to go to the beach, and we packed a picnic from the hotel we were staying in, and off we sat. And when I got there, um, there were a lot of um, Africans on the beach, but nobody was swimming. But I thought, oh, well, so off we went swimming. I didn't, they were all laughing because there was a terrible undertow we knew nothing about, but God had plans and we survived. So we went back to eat on the beach and this little boy, he was probably about two and a half, came up and just wearing a loose rag. He was just, he had all the symptoms of, of protein deficiency, starvation, an extended belly and the orange hair. And um, he was looking not at us, but just at our food. And I thought, oh, it was a, um, a very maturing moment for me because this was a little boy who had nothing, literally nothing. And he was coming begging without words. So of course, we, I gave him everything we had. And um, he went off down the beach. And I said, Frank, we have to do something. And he said, well, what? And I said, well, maybe we can adopt him. And he said, well, we can look into it. But as we watched him go down the beach, we saw a swarm of kids descend on him and take everything he had. So they were hungry too. So I, you know, there was nothing else to give them. They didn't come back. He just wandered away. So we went back and I, I, you know, we made contact with the ministry there to see if there's any chance we could adopt some of these children who had nothing and nobody. And we're told no, that this was not permitted uh, international adoption like that. So, you know, just mind your own business. So that was that, but it, it never left me, it haunted me. And so when we got home, um, I didn't think we could have kids because we've been married for a long time. By that point, 15 months, I think. And we didn't have any, so I, oh, I guess I'll become a nurse. And um, when I'm old enough, mature enough, we'll maybe adopt. So that's, that's how that little boy affected me, but he never left me. And so we had three children, Mary being the third, and then we applied to adopt. I thought, well, we have three. We've been given this wonderful gift. And we went to the ministry office and said, we'd like to adopt. And, and um, they basically laughed. They said, in BC, if you can have your own, don't even bother trying. It's, it's an arduous no. So we went home and had three more. Oh, that's, that's just so, so beautiful, you know? Um, just so beautiful. And so, Mary, I was just wondering, you know, like when I think back to that, you know, day where, you know, we're in the car and, you know, my son was there well, like chatting and, and, and I'm just kind of curious, you know, you've, you've become this, um, just this, you know, remarkable soul, courageous soul. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how your mom and how 
growing up in that kind of, you know, environment, um, how did it influence you? Hmm. I think much more than I could say or put into sort of a nutshell. Um, maybe being one of the oldest ones, I, especially the oldest girl, I sort of took on a secondary motherly role um, early on and I just, I just loved kids and was um, part of the family life, enjoyed the babies that, that came along. And, um, and I know that I remember be, long before my parents adopted, um, I remember the idea of adoption because it had always been a kind of a, a topic in our family. It was um, something that my siblings and I would get excited about. Maybe we could adopt a child. And, and so just from early on, the seeds were planted about openness to um, others and um, being a, becoming a part of the family. I think that had a, a really profound impact on me. And then, of course, when my parents went ahead and adopted, began adopting, I think I was uh, 14 or so at the time. So I think that um, that, that aspect, but knowing that too, I, th I think about this a lot, that we, um, we had sort of some rules and our, I wouldn't say my parents were overly strict, really, um, but we would always pray the rosary on our knees every evening. And we would go to Sunday Mass and it was made clear to us early on that you don't miss Mass. That's the most important, most important point of the, of the week, unless you're sick. And, um, and so we would, we would always go to Mass as a family and it was never something that we would, we would miss except for sickness. And um, I think I shared with you one, one story about my brother, younger brother, who was quite a disturbance at Mass. My parents went back and forth about it and he said, they said, okay, well, we'll agree that he hasn't reached the age of reason yet. So one of us will just split up going to mass at different times. And then one day, the day came where he was old enough and um, it was decided that yes, he, he has reached the age of reason. And um, so it was announced to him, Stephen, you're, you're gonna be coming to mass now with us. And he put up quite a fight and argued, well, I haven't reached the age of reason yet. So <laughs> he was five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, um, yeah, I, I'm very blessed to have grown up with the family that I have and that um, those seeds were planted early of the need for prayer and the need to put God first. Um, and then I guess the, the openness in our family to, to others beyond our own family, biological family. Um, you know, I, 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 I do have to say that when... I, when I saw, you know, coverage of the work that you do, Mary, in the, you know, different newspapers and everything, I had like quite a different impression of you than when I met you in, in, in person. And, and in person, you know, there was just like such a tenderness and such a gentleness and such an openness and such a kindness, you know. Um, would, would these be some of the things that you saw at home? Or like, I'm always like, how do you become sweet? Like, it's never something I've been very good at. <laughs> In fact, my mom would be perfectly honest with you. I think you're a better assessment of my character. Those who know you. I'm talking from my own experience with you. I'm sorry. I, you know, it's, it's, your mom would know better. Um, but I guess I, maybe what I could ask you is like, what are some of the virtues maybe that you saw animated at home? Um, I'm, I'm just curious. Okay, well, I guess my parents are both quite different in their character. And I think for my dad, I learned a lot about um, 
about, not to say mom's not honest, but my dad is really honest. Like truth is really, really important to him. And um, so that I took from him. And he's also a very patient person. So that was modeled for me. Um, very, very patient. Um, and, and my mom, just her, her desire to, to get things done, her desire, her desire to, to do as much as possible for everyone in, in the family and, and beyond as well. Um, those, those examples. Um, yeah, no, no. And I, I know that, you know, I'm kind of catching you on the spot asking these crazy questions, some of them that, you know, kind of pop into my head. Uh, Jane, you know, when I read your bio, I'm kind of like, this is one remarkable woman. <laughs> she's like going to Africa at, you know, 18. She's, uh, you know, having these children, uh, just this mighty force in this, you know. Um, can you tell me a little bit of what influenced you to become the woman that you've become? Like, are there any particular mothers or saints or books or uh, how did how did you kind of become who you are? I'm curious. Well, I think my grandmother was a tremendous influence on me. She had 12 children. She lived, raised them through the depression. She was the most generous and, and kind and loving woman I think I ever met. And her daughter, my mother, she, she was a, an extrovert, a go-getter, get things done type of person. And I think at the time that she had her us, her children, her five children, it was a time when you had to kind of be at home and it was the isolation. It was, I think it was very difficult for her as a young mom. But she persevered and she leaned on God and she was a wonderful mother. But she wasn't the one that wanted to be at home with her kids. So I think I probably modeled myself more on my grandmother. And um, Mother Teresa influenced me in terms of, of um, our adoption stories. And, uh, and then we got into fostering, which is something I haven't mentioned yet. But um, Mary was a great, to me, Mary is a mother, um, my daughter Mary, because she influenced me greatly in the fostering piece, uh, being able to reach out and love other people's children uh, like my own to be able to bring them in and love them and let them go. Um, that's what Mary was doing every time she went to the abortion clinic. She was, uh, she was there standing with the babies whose mothers had abandoned them and she became their mother briefly and then she had to let them go and then she was punished for it. So she was a great influence for me. I don't think I ever told her this because I wanted to get proud. <laughs> like a good Catholic mother, we got to be careful. <laughs> Your daughters are beautiful or, or anything else. You just let them be humble. And certainly Mary is already humble. But yes, um, yeah, I just, she was a tremendous influence. And so that's, that's a beautiful, there's a couple of beautiful things that you've said that, you know, you wanted to reflect on that, you know, there was, you know, one woman in your life being your grandmother that, you know, thrived on being at home and she loved being at home and you know, your mom was a little bit of an extrovert and that you're like, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you were influenced by your mom and maybe resonated you know, more with, um, you know, your grandma. I know in my own case, um, you know, my mom being a survivor of World War II, sometimes she, she was explosive, you know. Um, she was 13 years old. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of forgiveness, forgiveness that, uh, um, so it, it, but, and, you know, but my 
aunt was, you know, like a domestic diva. So different, different, uh, and my mom was a great diva too, but it, it's beautiful to hear how, you know, that the significant women around us help us become and mold who we are. And it's, it's beautiful to hear, thank you, Jane, um, j just how your, your, your daughter is affecting your mothering now, you know, so that's beautiful. I, I just want to go to some of the comments here from the people that have joined us because I just don't want to ignore them, you know. Um, and so Mary Helen Mose, hello from Aid to Women in Toronto. Uh, hello, Mary Helen, thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, okay, uh, Amber Gormley from Oshawa, hello. Um, uh, Patricia from Waterloo, um, this is her first time here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Teresa Rowinski, hi Teresa, uh, from uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe Parish. Um, uh, Ivana, a mother's group leader from St. Gregory's Parish in Etobicoke, hello. Roseanne. Um, any other questions or, oh, Jocelyn Pollard from Milton. Hi, Jocelyn, great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Um, so a big warm, and if you have any questions, for example, for Mary um, and her mom, you know, keep on typing away here. Um, so I, I wanted to sort of go back to you, Mary. Um, Mary, do you have any specific memories that you remember about your mom that have kind of, uh, stuck with you and memories maybe that you want to share with us? Yeah, sure. Well, my mom had, um, as you, as we, as she shared, she's had seven children and she lost one baby um, before her seventh born child. And um, I remember, um, I think probably not my brother, but my sister and the difficult pregnancy that my mom had with her. And it turned out my mom has a uh, heart-shaped uterus but she didn't know that throughout all of her pregnancies until the last one so she had a really challenging pregnancies and so when i was four she her water broke at four and a half months 16 weeks 16 yeah. weeks and um it, the, of course that all went over my head as a four-year-old but i just remember my mom going to um my grandmother's and then the hospital and she was gone for a long time i think about three or four months and managed by the grace of god to keep keep this baby in her womb and um, so Angela was born by c-section at, at seven months um, it was very hard very lonely days and months to be um, without your mother and um, so I think that I at the time I only experienced a sense of loss in a, in a negative sense but as I grew older I, I, I started to put the pieces together and understood what my mom had done for my sister in um, doing all she could it was complete bed rest that she had to be on to give this baby a chance. And um, she had a few other, well, one other pregnancy that went well. And then um, there was a, a miscarriage. And, um, and then uh, the last child born, Connor, who's now 30. And um, I just, I think the witness that she gave to her unborn children and the sacrifices that she made, I'm, I mean, um, growing up and understanding that a lot of people, a lot of advice even by doctors would be, don't you know just go about your business because you probably won't keep this child well with my mom it was a matter of this child I'm going to do everything I can to give this child a chance and um great sacrifices were is what she made and then and I guess in a sense all of us because we had to um 
I guess, offer up our mom not being able to be there in a sense for us as she would have liked to just so that this little one could be born into the world. I think those were really profound experiences and witnesses to the sanctity of life for me growing up. And um, <laughs> I have to give myself to a few minutes to recover from the goosebumps because <laughs> it's such a beautiful, beautiful uh, testament. And I think that, you know, for all moms that are listening today is to remember, you know, that our our children are watching us and they're profoundly impacted by observing us. And so um, a couple of things, Mary, that you've said that's kind of just jumped out at me that, um, you know, you know, having the family rosary, you know, praying on your knees, which is, you know, we, we didn't have that. I didn't have that experience in my family. And then um, seeing your mom, um, you know, sacrifice, you know, her health and, and, and everything. And, and so like suffering wouldn't be unusual in terms of kids experience suffering in family life. Right. Um, and so it, it, thank you for, I, I mean, it's not often I get speechless, but it was so beautiful that uh, <laughs> I have to take a minute to recover from how beautiful that was. Um, thank you. Um, um, Jane, a couple of people here are asking, and it seems like more than one person is asking. I wanted to welcome uh, Kasha Riba. Uh, Kasha has, uh, I think, Mary, you met Kasha at the uh, Calling All Girls event, and I keep on praying that she becomes one of our mother's group leaders. Uh, maybe this will be a moment where the Holy Spirit anoints her. Um, but anyway, Kasha is asking um, Jane, Jane, uh, do you have a sort of a, a go-to prayer for, um, for, for moms? Like, is there a particular prayer or a prayer book or a series of prayers that you've used over the years? Um, my go-to prayer, <clears throat> my go-to saint is St. Joseph, because um, two of my children have a second name. He's, to me, he's, he took care of Mary and he took care of the Holy Family. So there's no better person to ask to take care of, of um, my children or my grandchildren. So he's been my go-to. I use the ancient prayer of St. Joseph. I make a perpetual novena to him for all of my children. Um, is that something that you would be able to email to me at one point so I could share with, with these moms? So, the, so it's an ancient prayer? Um, if you type an ancient prayer to St. Joseph, it will come up. On Google. Okay, so if we could Google, um, if you could, if if everyone here could just Google uh, the ancient prayer to Saint Joseph, and you so you, it's and you and you pray that perpetually, is that correct? Yes, yes a, I do, and I also daily pray the the chaplet of to Our Lady of Sorrows because that, is, that to me is very powerful, and then because I'm such a um, I'm, as Mary said, she got her patience from her dad. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, I remember saying to a priest, don't pray for patience, whatever you do. I've been praying for it. I said, stop. I knew a woman who prayed for patience and God sent her nine children. <laughs> so, um, already got so no, so I pray the, the, um, the litany of humility because it was recently introduced to me by a, a, our parish priest 
and I wish I'd had it all my life because I could certainly have benefited from it. But I say that daily as well. So I would recommend that because it, it just centers you on what, on reaching out that we are God's instrument only. And okay. from there comes everything good. Okay, this is, and, and so it just kind of begs the question, Mary, um, do you have any particular favorite prayers or um, kind of pious devotions or practices that may be? Um, um, I, I like the the novena to the Holy Spirit. Um, I think too, it's a an ancient novena. Well, the novena itself obviously is from Pentecost, but there is a special, and I don't know the, the title of it, but it's um it's prayed during that the cynical time. Um, but you can pray at any time, just asking the Holy Spirit. Really, that's for me. That is um, I guess aside from rosary and the liturgy of the hours, um, the that those would be my prayers to the Holy Spirit, asking Him to, to enlighten me, to, um, to give me wisdom. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Um, we've got a couple of more questions here. I'm just going to uh, pause. Um, may I ask? Uh, so this is Judith Rincon. Uh, hi, Judith. Thank you for joining us and let us know where you're from. May I ask, how did they finally end up adopting the children? So um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Okay. Well, um, the, my miracle baby, the one who was born at 16 weeks and wasn't supposed to survive, she developed um, juvenile diabetes in the first grade at school. So that was... Um, Having a child with special needs, you know, she was, it, it was quite a profound experience for me. And that led me to think, well, what about the children who don't have a family that's so loving and surrounds them with everything they need? So I said, Frank, this might be a good time to adopt. Let's look into it. Maybe if we take children with special needs, they'll let us adopt. So um, we went back to the ministry, said we'd like to adopt a, children, a child or children with special needs, preferably diabetes, since I'm now an expert. Well, they didn't have any like that because they just didn't. But what they did have was twins with fetal alcohol syndrome. Okay, sure. Well, we'll take those. And um, that was shocking. And it was a wild ride. It was, uh, it was amazing. But that's why what, what uh, stimulated us to do that was having a child with special needs. And special needs had nothing on fetal alcohol syndrome. But it was uh, these children were meant to come to us. I, I know that. Um, and when I wanted to give up, Frank would say, well, let's just keep going. And uh, when, I, when he wanted to give up, I, I said, just go take a break. So we kept going. And to thank God we did. They're wonderful young men. And Mary was there. She would pack. She could, they were so small, they would fit in your backpack. She would, <laughs> she would take off our hands. She, she was just amazing. So even though she was only 14 at the time, she, she recognized how their intrinsic value and... Um, even though they had many, many challenges, she saw the beauty in them. And so that, so that was our, our, first, our first adoption. The second one was because we had a later in life baby. And I thought, well, let's try for adoption again so he doesn't grow up alone. And uh, so we, then we ended up with Corey, who's also has fetal alcohol syndrome, but is doing very well. And then the other two just kind of came along. God just told me, okay, there you go. Here's a couple of girls now. 
No, I, this is a, a question that kind of just, one of the old, it just popped into my head question. <laughs> um, but one thing that, you know, when I was, you know, single and I got married quite late in life and very often, you know, you would, I, not you would hear, but I would hear, um, you know, women complaining about children or, you know, women saying, oh my gosh, I got to, you know, get, you know, I've, I've got two kids and I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle this. This is like too much. And, and then when I remember first having my, my very first child, Monica, like something in me changed and it changed very distinctly. And I, it was a profound, I had, a, I had a profound Marian experience, which I, I won't get into now. Um, but can you maybe speak to the woman who's listening here today, the mom that's listening here today, where maybe she is overwhelmed and maybe she does have, you know, one child and she can't handle it. Like, what can women do or what can moms do to handle more? You know, like here you are um, uh, adopting, having your own children, having illnesses in the family, having a, uh, a daughter that's been in jail, you know, like just many, 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 many trials and you're, you're handling it all, right? And I don't know why, I don't know what the mystery, is there a, some kind of a mystery? Like why is the modern woman or the modern mom who now has, you know, a dishwasher, a microwave, two cars, why is she overwhelmed when someone like, for example, you and many other Catholic women that I've met, why can they do it, right? Do you have any words to that, Mom? Um, what might she think about? What might she do? How might she get more strength, you know? I think in some ways, um, this modern world makes it harder for young moms because that more is expected of them, even though they have their microwaves and their dishwasher and their second car. They're expected to contribute financially to the family. They're expected to, to basically carry two roles, a lot of them. And for moms who don't have to do that, who are at home and feel overwhelmed, um, they need to reach out and keep reaching out because it is very difficult. I remember being on a, uh, we were on a little farm with my first child and I was 20 and he was, he was colicky and I just thought, oh, what, a, what was I thinking? But reach out. I used to go and visit my mom one day a week and uh, she would put up with the screaming and the carrying on because she knew I really needed the break and the connection. Um, do whatever you can to find that support, the church, uh, friends, moms groups, whatever you can, because I don't think anyone can do it, especially single moms. They can't do it without support. It's just, it's too much. And of course, prayer. I, I know in my most difficult moments when I really didn't know what to do or where to turn, a simple, Jesus, I trust in you. That was my constant refrain, Jesus, I trust in you, until the dust settled and I could see a way out, a way through. And uh, so I, um, the, the, the one thing that I have found, you know, starting these moms groups is that you know, sometimes moms, the busier they get because, okay, now they're working full time, they've got hockey, driving their kids here and there, that sometimes it's a real temptation to stop going to mass, right? Like it's when you're really, really busy, there's this temptation 
to let go of what's, you know, the most important. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to just uh, touch base here again. Uh, there's a hello uh, from Yolanta Galaska. Uh, she's uh, from Right to Life in Mississauga, and she wants to extend a hello to uh, both uh, Mary and, uh, and Jane. Um, another question that's just kind of, you know, popped into my head, I'm always grateful for those questions that just got popped in. Um, you know, many, many of us now are dealing with a variety of uh, restrictions because of this remarkable pandemic. And, um, and so we're forced into isolation. And um, Mary, you know, you've been in prison often and, you know, sort of like self-imposed restrictions because of the, the, the choices that you made and very beautiful and powerful choices. I'm just wondering if perhaps we could learn a few things from you, like how might one constructively, like I don't want to get into the sort of the politics of, of COVID and whether these restrictions are correct or not correct, but what I am interested in hearing is, um, okay, so here you are, you know, you're in a jail cell and like how did you manage or what are some of the things that you did um, to make that time fruitful and what could we do, you know, to make our time fruitful instead of otherwise? Well, I just marvel really at how God is the one who orchestrates far better than we can. And um, I think what I need to go back to is not, not how I managed in jail, because how I managed in jail was really the fruit of, of my time in the monastery. And I was, um, I was in a monastery. I entered a contemplative community in 2005. And um, for me, it was very, very challenging in the first six months or so because we were expected to uh, live in silence. And that's not really. <laughs> silence and. <laughs> okay, ladies, I'm going to do a shout out and a challenge. For three days, silence and COVID restrictions, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I would fail. Sorry, sorry. I was just sorry. <laughs> sorry, Mary. Okay. Thankfully, our community was not rigid in that. We, uh, we were allowed, okay, you, you need to talk to somebody. Just ask permission. You can go for a, a rosary walk. You can pray a decade, and then you can have a chat and go for a walk. And but it was the expectation and the reason was not just to be silent but was so to help us let jesus become number one in our lives and um i'm really grateful really grateful for that experience because that i wouldn't have been able to then be in in custody and experience what i experienced there and i think that um for other people this is obviously this these restrictions have been imposed on us. I, I think most people wouldn't choose to live how we we're living if we didn't have to at this moment. But um, if no one is, I'm not different from other people in my desire to be sociable and my need to be around other people. But what I learned, and it was possible, if it was possible for me, it's possible for others too, is to um, just go deeper in, in the reality that we are always in the presence of God and he, maybe wants to speak to us in ways that we wouldn't otherwise 
be able to hear him. Um, these restrictions could be seen. Whatever God permits, he's always providing a, a greater good. So whether, like you said, not getting into the whole question of whether they're just, unjust, but, but they are, they exist. And what is God trying to say to us? And I think that he wants each of us to enter more deeply into the reality of him in our lives, in every moment of our, our day, in our loneliness, in our trials, and just, just let him create a bigger space for him, which will then in turn lead us, God willing, to, to um, meet him more profoundly in the other and enrich our relationships. So I really think this could be a great opportunity, even if it hasn't been chosen. <laughs> and uh, yes, yes. And any thoughts, Jane, do you have on, on this that, you know, the, this time that's imposed, how might it be used uh, fruitfully? Well, because we have currently we have four foster children, we're homeschooling them because of COVID. And um, at first, I just couldn't imagine how I would ma manage to have them home 24 seven. But it's actually been a, a blessing because they've drawn closer, they've really settled their, their, um, their, they, the bonds have been even more deeply rooted. And they're out of the influence that they were under in the public school system. So in that respect, it's, it's been a real blessing. And we have a lot more peace and well, a lot more prayer, meaningful prayer with them. So um, it's, it has been a blessing. I, in terms of the other restrictions, apart from mass, which I miss terribly, um, I don't mind being at home because it's where I've been all my life pretty much since I had my first baby. And to me, it's fine. But I can understand that for other people who like to go out and connect with others, it's very difficult. So for me as a homebody and an introvert, it's been it's been a blessing in some respects. Yeah, and 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 um, it's 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 been a blessing for our ministry too because you know we would never have a mothers group meeting where we could have um, you know Mary Wagner and Jane Wagner at the mothers group meeting, you know, touching all these lives, and so. Um, it, it's been a it's been a remarkable blessing for the the, the ministry too. And um, again, not to take away from the seriousness of COVID, you know, we all need to be praying. Um, we have a, a question here from uh, Quinton Amundsen, who is a reporter for the uh, Catholic Register, and I invited the Catholic Register uh, to join us today because. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the Catholic Register can get the word out that um, that Catholic Moms Group is doing a great job reaching out to moms, you know, from Vancouver to Toronto and everywhere in between. So, Quinton, um, you know, because there are beautiful things that are happening in the midst of COVID, and, and I think that it's important that we get the news out about these beautiful things that are happening. But Quinton has a question for you. And um, I'm not sure exactly who it's directed to, but let me read it. Um, what can moms and all of us do to combat a popular culture that either trivializes abortion or glorifies girls who make um, that choice as indicative of the 2020 film, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which is being showed with awards. Um, I don't know the movie. Yeah. I don't know the movie. I haven't seen the film, but I guess it's not imperative to answering the question. 
Did so you want to? Yeah, so can I, I'll direct it to, to both of you. So what can moms do to combat a popular culture that trivializes abortion or glorifies that make that choice. What can we do as, as mothers? Um, and what can we do? What, what can all of us do? Um, living in this culture, what can we do? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I can think of an example. I was standing on, on the road with, uh, with the um, 40 Days for Life praying, the rosary, and uh, across from the hospital the last spring, I think. And this SUV pulled up, screeched to the side of the road, dust blew. This woman got out of the car, marched over with her, and she said to me, she pointed her finger in my face and she said, what have you done for all the unwanted children? How many children have you fostered and adopted? And I said, oh, well, we've adopted five and I think I've fostered over 50. And then she just didn't know what to say. She was like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> I've adopted five and fostered 50. I love it. I wish I could have been there in that moment. That's beautiful. Spirit was, was there. And I mean, she could have asked somebody else. Nobody needs to be, I mean, everyone has a right to their pro-life perspective. You don't have to adopt and, and, and be foster parents in order to have the right to speak up against abortion. But it was as if this woman who was just so irate was placed in front of me and, and there were three other ladies there who wouldn't have been able to answer affirmatively, but she asked me. And so it was, it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, okay, lady, we're not all just people with a mouth. We, some of us actually act on it, which was what her problem was. She couldn't see that everyone has a right to be opposed to abortion, but that there are pro-lifers who also will do something for the so-called unwanted children. Although I don't believe there's any such thing, but they think that. So I, I would encourage people who have honed their mother's skills and the children are grown or growing or almost grown to consider fostering because there are children out there that have nobody. And they, they, some of them grow up never knowing the experience of having a mother, a real mother. And so it's something worth doing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the other, this is just a, a, a tiny, tiny, tiny little thing that that I did and it, it just, it worked beautifully and it worked despite myself. Um, whenever my kids were very little, whenever I saw a baby, I was just naturally overcome with joy because I loved them, right? So I'd be like, Monica, Michael, look, look at that baby. Oh my gosh, isn't it precious? And so then I'd like run up and I'd say to the mom, oh, when did you have it? Oh, look at that little smile. And I'd always make like this moment out of, um, and I think part of it was because I had a life-threatening situation told I couldn't have any more kids and so then the the reality of a baby became so much more uh, precious for me and I, I grieved every time I saw a new baby and 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 so but I would run up to it and so my children as they got older they kept on running up to babies and doing the same thing and then showing me right and 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 so then like when the idea came up it was just like atrocious to them that that somebody might want to kill so I think mothers if we keep on, you know, just to pointing out the beauty of little children and the beauty of right from the day that they're born, you know, fostering those uh, relationships. Um, 
another question here that that is uh, a good one uh, mary how did you wind up having so much support from poland and uh, you know i've often wondered that too I, some of you may or may not know that my cousin's son is the president of poland mr morawiecki and i keep on trying to think of a way that we can get back there together with mary and i and uh really revive the vocation of motherhood because <laughs> so much about motherhood i've learned from the polish culture so um, anyway how did you get all of this support from poland mary um. Well, I, I think first of all, there was an article that was put out in, in the media shortly after one of my convictions. And the judge said something that was really inflammatory. He said, if you think you can do this, then you are wrong and your God is wrong. And so that was the, the headline and it just, it just went viral, I think. And um, so then I started getting a lot of mail from Poland. And um, I think, to, it's important to understand Polish culture, which is still very Catholic. I mean, there's, it's under threat. The family is, is very much under threat, but still there's a, having visited Poland a few times, I see that profound Catholic spirit that still permeates the culture and the people there. So, um, and I think also that there tends to be a, 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 a perception of, of Canada as being a country that really respects human rights. And so when word got out to Poland that there's a woman um, who was peacefully protesting, that's how people understand it, um, in, and in custody for trying to stand up for the rights of the unborn, well, really what's going on in Canada? So then that just got the attention of a lot of people and they wanted to show their support. And I think that's how it, how it, how it grew, just kind of word got out. and. Um, I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer. That's the, that's the best that I can make of it. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And so I would encourage any of you here that are writers today um, to write about, you know, our interview today. Because who knows whose life you'll touch? Um, uh, who knows where it'll go? You know, I, we need good Catholic writers. We need good Catholic security guards. We need good Catholic movie producers so please use your talents for catholicism um one question that has been asked over and over again and i keep on avoiding it and i shouldn't and it's not a bad question it's just a matter there's so many to ask um so jane how so i'm going to quote it here from rema it's been asked by many people um how did you deal with mary being incarcerated how did you feel when it happened the first time? And how have you adapted to these situations over the years? Like it, it can't be easy, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, well, the first time, well, first when Mary went to jail, she was in her early twenties and it, it was very difficult for me because just the idea of my daughter being in jail with murderers and it was just, it was overwhelming. And my mother was just, oh, she was just fiercely opposed to it. And so I think, was it before you went to prison, Mary, that we, anyway, we were very much opposed to it. And so Mary, being the dutiful daughter, um, went the way of the convent, joined the convent, but she could never escape because Our Lady pursued her there <laughs> in, in a nutshell. So yes, um, then when she came back, it was like, I, it was, I think Our Lady just gave me the 
courage to realize that she would take care of her in prison and I, I should be supportive. And so I became supportive. It was an act of the will because I really did not, I thought you can do anything else. Why do you want to, how can you do this? But she did and Our Lady gave me the grace to accept it and to support her in it. And I have ever since then, even though it is very hard. I have to jump in here because your sign behind you, Dorothy. If you're waiting for a sign, this is it. And <laughs> <laughs> I remember you told me this story just so you can share that, that yeah. you were really struggling and you told me that you went to adoration and you, you were led to something. Do you remember? Yes, I was. I was led to, well, I think God just spoke to me that, you know, you need to let your daughter do what she's doing. John Andrew's book. Yeah, the book. John Andrew's yeah. book. Yes, I read her it was, book. It was it was in the adoration. You're forgetting. I know I am. It's my senior mom. Okay, so I'll just tell. Thank you. My mom told me this story. I'm not making it up. <laughs> that um that you went to adoration and you were really just asking God, well, what? How can I accept this? Is she right? What am I supposed to believe? And on the shelf in the adoration chapel, there were all kinds of books. And you told me that somehow your attention was drawn right to. The prison letters of yes, Joan, Joan Andrews Bell. Yes, that's right. I remember who's, now. Um, really like a spiritual mother to me, and um, she was in prison in the U.S. in the '80s and '90s for for her rescue, part of the rescue movement. And so you told so me that. Yes, I've, I, I've forgotten <laughs> that. I knew God was the instrument, but no. And in, in reading it, seeing it, somebody else who was experiencing it, and I admired her and thought, "Wow, it's such a beautiful thing." And I realized, well, then how can you refuse God when He asks for your daughter to do the same thing? So that was that was a, a touching moment for me, definitely. There was also a moment after. I don't know if you're running out of time, Dorothy. If you've got no, time for no, if, if you've got a few more minutes, yeah, yeah, please, please okay. go. So it was, the, I think, one of Mary's first trials, and um, we were there as a family to support her, and she was just the slip of a girl, and it was just like the whole system against her, standing there with her rosary, answering the, ju the judge's questions, no lawyer representing her, and then sentenced to jail. Well, I was just, I was just wild with grief. My son, who was a law student at the time, Mary's next older brother, we were out standing out in the hall, and he was he was with me trying to be supportive. Frank, of course, was at home with the kids. And then this woman came up, who a well-dressed woman who said she'd just come to court to, her husband had some court dealings, and she just was passing time, and she noticed a big crowd in this one courtroom. So she went to see, well, what's going on in there? It might be something interesting, and, and it was Mary's trial. And so when she came out into the hall, she said, did you see them, did you see them? And I said, what? And she said, those, the angels. She said, there were two angels either side of that young woman. And she said, as she stood there, they were there. I've never seen such a thing. And this was, she said, I, you probably think I'm crazy, but I'm not, I'm, I'm so-and-so. And my son was overcome. He went off to cry in the washroom, I think. But um, to me, it was just that affirmation that she's not alone. The angels, of course, are with her and, and God is with her. And so why am I worried about her being alone? She's going to be safe. She's going to be okay. And wow, what a profound, profound story. Now, I, I, I don't want to miss just this one other, you know, because I know everyone's busy and I know, uh, but, but there's just one other thought that I, I wanted to just have you both speak on, uh, whoever, you know, that, you know, our ministry is on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. And if you kind of take a look at, 
um, you know, motherhood, the way that it was in the, you know, kind of old days, moms were at home. And then you take a look at modern motherhood where we're, you know, outsourcing so many things, you know, like mothers are calling upon, you know, uh, breast consultants and breastfeeding consultants and sleeping consultants and, um, you know, and just we're just outsourcing so much. And I'll never forget a day in, in, in this backyard. And I was a I was a stay at home mom at the time. But it something struck me and I want to share it with you and just see how it resonates with you. Like, I was like, okay, we've hired someone to cut our lawn. I've hired some, I'm a stay-at-home mom, mind you. I, you know, I've hired someone to cut the lawn. I've hired someone to watch the kids so I can, you know, go do this and that. I've hired someone, you know, call it Metro to cook my dinner because I'm picking up a, you know, barbecue chicken. I've hired someone to paint my living room. I've, you know, and I'm like, what the heck am I teaching my kids? You know, I'm hiring this and hiring that. And it's like, what are these kids going to witness? What are they going to think, you know, in growing up and seeing all of this? And I don't know what the right answer is, but I, I'm wondering, Jane, um, do you have any words of wisdom, you know, in terms of, helping moms maybe understand that they will have a duty before God to account for how they spent their time. And, and I, I don't know, like, do you know what I, I don't know, even know where I'm going with this, <laughs> but do you have any thoughts on it? Or just kind of. I think our children are, are, are profound gifts. And if you're given a profound gift, you don't give it to somebody else. If you appreciate it for what it is. And you don't let somebody else come in and take take it from you or take care of it for you. You you won't leave it. What is what is most precious in your life, you devote yourself to. And I think a, a child, a gift from God like that, you 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 do have a duty because it is it's a gift that is so irreplaceable and priceless that you have a duty to be there to to safeguard it and to lead it lead that child towards God. And nobody else is given the grace of state that you have as a mother. So yes, it's, it's a profound duty, but it's a profound gift. It's all wrapped up together. You can't really separate it. Um, as far as cutting the lawn and that, well, my kids cut the lawn and, and we painted and, you know, with a big family, you, you have the sources there to do these things. So your children see that you're a cohesive unit and that you help each other and that you that you matter more than anything you matter to each other yeah and 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 so like i guess you know my 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 heart goes out to you know moms in this day and age cuz I, I i think that you know some of the expectations that are you know put in magazines and tvs and everything are like are just like so unreasonable and 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 then you know, I guess I, many years ago, I used to deliver seminars internationally, you know, business seminars to, to women and women would come running up to me after these corporate seminars and, you know, pour their hearts out to me. And, you know, and I'll remember one woman like, you know, like I, I missed my child's childhood and, 
and then, but I always say that no one ever came up to me and said, I'm sorry for the time I spent with my children, but many women came up to me saying that they were sorry that they had, didn't have another child, for example, or they were sorry that they didn't spend more time. And, and we need like supernatural confidence, right? To, to kind of listen to maybe some of those promptings. And I don't know, maybe God is calling someone here today to have another baby, you know? Maybe God is calling someone here today um, to spend more time in prayer, you know? Um, and are, are there any books, Jane, that you might recommend on, on motherhood that affected you in a particular way? Or, or? Um, I, I don't think I ever read books on motherhood. I just lived it. And <laughs> no, that's, that's, uh, my, my heroes that I like Mother Teresa and my own grandmother and mother that I tried to emulate, but I just pretty much lived it. I, I let my instincts guide me. And I think often these books that you read, they're culturally, they're influenced by our current culture, which is not conducive to family life. So they might focus on the, well, how do you breastfeed or how do you do this and all, you know, the, the nitty gritty of how you do things, which might be helpful to someone who doesn't have a clue. But a lot of this is natural instinct. You follow your instincts, you follow your gut and you, you pray and you do your best. And I think that's, that's really the way to go, not to read books because everybody in a book has a bias. And Unless of course you're going to read Motherhood Matters by Dorothy Polarski. <laughs> Sorry, a little bit of self-promotion there. Sorry, that was bad, right? That was bad on my part. Sorry, I'm gonna have to. I would have to go to confession over that one. But <laughs> too proud. <laughs> anyway, it is three. But I will, Dorothy, because motherhood matters. The very title there, it's worth reading. Yeah, I, I didn't read the clinical books. Like, no, 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 I'm just having fun with you. I'm just having fun with you. I'm just having fun with you. Um, so I want to respect everybody's time. Um, you know, Mary, I know that you're very busy. And Jane, I know that you're very busy. Um, and uh, there's a, oh my gosh, there's lots of questions that are coming up. Oh boy. Um, I have a thought about that. Dorothy, um, because I'm not very good at multitasking at all, so I'm, I'm not able to respond to some of the personal questions, but if anybody wants to send me an email um, with those same questions, because I think they disappear after the meeting, right? So yeah, so if, if um, okay, so there's a, there's a couple of things here. Um, we, we need to finish up. Do, do you have any closing, Mary, any closing uh, thoughts that you would like to share with everyone that's here? Well, I would like to thank you, Dorothy, for inviting my mom and me to, to join you. And, and to thank you all the moms who are here with us today. Um, please keep us in your prayers. We have a special prayer intention I would just like you to entrust without getting into it, just involving the, the children in care here. Um, you can pray for them, and, um, and we will pray for all of you as well. Thank you. Um, can can everybody here please commit to praying? Uh, I never. I'm sorry, but this is the, in my nature. Can everyone here who can commit to praying uh, one rosary tonight for this spe specific intention? 
It's a, an intention for Mary and her mom. Can I please, please, please get a yes that you'll pray a, a, a rosary? Um, would definitely, we need those prayers for Mary and her uh, family. Um, and, and Jane, do you have any closing thoughts? Do you have any closing thoughts? Just to let the moms who are struggling to know that they're doing God's work to keep going, that uh, it's worth it. Ever, It's always worth it. And God is with us even in the darkest times, especially in the darkest times. And uh, do not be so influenced by the world to allow your own motherhood to just emerge and embrace it and enjoy it, even if it, especially during COVID, since you have to anyways. So just, and that motherhood is a, a profound gift and there are duties that come with it that are also a gift. Okay, so um, I don't know if any of you remember Carol Burnett. <laughs> I like to lighten up, but I always like to say, I'm so glad we had this time together. Just to have a laugh and sing a song seems we just get started and before you know it. It comes a time we have to say so long. So thank you everybody for joining us. Remember, if God's having you, if God's calling you to have a baby, have it. And if God is calling you to pray a rosary tonight, which I'm sure he is. <laughs> I'm so terrible. Uh, so please pray a rosary tonight um, for uh, Mary and her mom's intentions. Um, and if you have any questions, send an email to info at catholicmomsgroup.com. I promise you we'll respond. It might take a day or two, but we will. Um, we love you. Goodbye. Oh, just last thing. Next week at two o'clock Thursday, which is the regular day for um, Midday Moms, um, I would ask you to pray. I, I won't be here. I'll, I'll be teaching the Ordinandi at um, St. Augustine's Seminary, and I'm facilitating a workshop conflict management. I always joke, I say, me? I cause conflict. I don't. So I won't be here, um, but we will, I, I will be in touch with you vis-a-vis -vis email. The week after next, we have a beautiful, beautiful guest, uh, Sonia Camiso. Um, she's going to be giving a reflection on um, suffering with joy. Her husband has MS. Her daughter has passed away. Her other daughter is in a wheelchair. Her eldest son has a serious, serious learning disabilities. And I've never met a happier soul than Sonia Camiso. She, and her, her husband is bedridden. <laughs> and Sonia has always got her nails done. And she's just a saint in the making. So please join us, um, not next week, but the week after to meet Sonia. I've always wanted actually Sonia and Mary to meet. Um, but anyway, uh, another time, another place. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We love you. Please keep us in your prayers. And if you can, please make a donation to the ministry. We need it. Those donations make all of this possible. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Bye Mary. Bye, Jane. Bye, Matthew. 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 Bye,
<laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see you soon. Okay, bye. Thank you. And give uh, give hug a big hug to Frank and the kids, okay? Dorothy, thanks you. Okay, okay, bye-bye. <laughs>